Hi, my name is Anja Karwowska and I'm the host of this amazing podcast. If you are a neurodivergent person, struggling with learning the language, tend to procrastinate too much, or maybe you have so many goals you get lost right over bed. If you answered yes to any of these questions, you have come to the right place, my friend. I'll teach you how to apply cognitive science and evidence-based methods to your learning. I will walk you through the learning plateau. If you're scared to talk, the vocabulary evaporates your mind. You have been studying for ages, following shiny objects, binge-watching Netflix, hoping that the knowledge will cross your head first Moses. If so, I'm here to help you. I'll show you how to study and tackle the language, and most importantly, how to make it stick. I'm inviting you on the journey with me. Let's add a science sprinkle to your learning. Hello, uh, good morning, good afternoon, depending where you are and where you are listening to me. It's me, Anja Karwowska, your host from Canadian-American border. So today I'll be talking about the brain, but from a little bit different perspective. So I don't know if you remember, there was that song long ago by Tina Turner. It was called, What's Lab Got To Do With It? Well, I want to say, what's the brain got to, do, got to do with it? There are so many myths and misconceptions when it comes to dyslexia. And also, we do not focus on brain. I would say we do not put enough focus on the brain. So, in today's episode, I'll be talking about the brain. Reading is one of the most complex tasks that humans have encountered. I know it's a myth that language is so easy to acquire, so um, let me just practice some discernment and bust some myths. Speaking is evolutionary, not new to us. We have been speaking for years, probably. Maybe some people, like me, started speaking because they wanted to complain. Others wanted to gossip or just convey some information. However, reading, print, from the evolutionary point of view, is new to us humankind. Reading is a complex task. And thanks to development in neuroscience and technology, we are able to target key learning centers in the brain. Isn't it amazing, right? So we not only understand why we have some strong readers who read well and they learn to read without a lot of effort, right? And we have some students who are struggling to read in the first language or in the second language or in the foreign language. So we begin to develop language skills required for reading right from the first gurgles, right, to the echolalia as babies, right? The sounds we encounter in our immediate environment as infants set language acquisition skills in motion, making the brain ready for the structure-based language. So every time a baby hears a speech, the brain is learning new rules of the language, right? Such as nurse, rhyme, let's say, that's the beginning, right? So then, then they start to make those differentiations and create phonemic awareness. Phonemic awareness is like the essential building block for reading. By the time the child is ready to read effectively, the brain has done a lot of work. Right? coordinating the sounds of the language and preparing to coordinate the language to reading and to reading comprehension. So the reading brain can be likened to the real-time collaborative effort of a symphony orchestra. So let me just take you through like bits and pieces of the reading brain. We have the temporal lobe responsible for phonological awareness, right? decoding and discriminating sounds. We have the frontal lobe handles speech production, reading fluency, grammatical usage and comprehension. And then I will just segue a bit, and I do apologize, but I think it's important. If we want to teach our students grammar, it's not enough just to have those sounds and plays and the kids jumping around. Look, movement is very important. I'm not saying it's not. However, we students need to have something which we call a grammar awareness. 
So it has to be taught explicitly. Then we have the angular and submarginal gyrus, and they are called the reading integrate. So there were studies uh, that compared uh, children with and without uh, reading disability dyslexia. So I'm just using two terms because you know, in some countries they refer to, to it as reading disability. And the non-impaired readers, let's say, have more activation in all areas to be important for reading than the children with dyslexia. That's why multisensory component is so important because then you activate it. And I will talk about the letter box in a second, right? So it was suggested that children with dyslexia, there is a dis disruption in the rear reading system in the left hemisphere, the called for skilled fluent reading. And the finding could explain the common experience in school that children with dyslexia develop into accurate readers and they, they will learn to read at a great level, but it might be a little bit slower and it might be a little bit laborious. So that is why we need to apply structured literacy and the practice has to be sequential, cumulative, and explicit, so that they develop that fluency. And yes, they can be fluent, it goes without saying. It takes more practice, it takes more work, but yes, they can be fluent. And what is interesting is people with dyslexia, often they often show greater activation in the frontal lower areas of the brain. So that led to the conclusion that neural systems may compensate. However, that's Sally Shirewitz, and the research is from 2003, and there has been lots of research since then. So just to recap, brain is important. It needs to, uh, we need to activate those neural connections in the brain. So if you are an EFL teacher, and if you are working with your dyslexic students, you cannot expect just to hand out modifications and accommodations and expect them to thrive because they will not. All students, I'd say all, 98% of people can learn to read, I would say even more, with the use of explicit and sequential methods. Moreover, if you teach your students structured literacy in the EFR classroom, they will not only be fluent, even though they may be reading at a slower pace sometimes, it happens there are students with profound dyslexia, but they will be fluent and they will be readers and they can learn to read and write in any language. And I wouldn't strip them of that opportunity because then the educational possibilities, the professional possibilities will be taken away from them. And I would say it's a basic human right. I even came up with the phrase, um, I'm a huge fan of Anita Archer. And once she said a very important quote to me, she said, teach the stuff and cut the fluff. And I sort of transformed it into teach the stuff and cut the laugh. Sorry, your students do not have to laugh books, really. It's hard, I know, I'm a bookworm, I love reading, but your students do not have to be the lovers of reading. So Stanislaus Dien, um, in his book, Reading in the Brain, and also in his other research papers, he's a very prominent professor, but just to the point, he invented the idea of the concept, I would say, of neuronal recycling. So he invented the concept of a letterbox. So humans rely on particular brain structures for the spoken language, right? The network of the left superior temporal and inferior, inferior frontal regions, right? Even at the age of two months of age, the network can be seen in the brain scans when babies listen to sentences in the mother tongue, etc. Because language is processed on the left side of the brain, the reading must be processed there too. Rare, rare for people, few people process language on the right and for them the brain's letterbox is on the right. This keeps the distance between the visual and the language areas involved in the process of reading. The brain's letterbox is located in the part of the visual cortex that get, gets input from the high resolution part of the black eye called fovea. 
So this allows to discriminate very small differences between the letters. The neurons is the pathway both in humans and other primates, and it often responds well to simple shapes. It means that over generations, whether they were writing, people write power writing single speech sounds or larger units like syllables, scribes chose to write letters using shapes that human brains could easily recognize and learn. But let me just let me just put some short FYI. Reading is not visual. It means that it goes through our brain and our brain reads, not our eyes, right? Like our eyes are the transmitter. I just wanted to provide a short FYI because I know that sometimes people get um get uh, lost and I totally understand that. So this is a little bit about brain's letterbox. I will just uh, link the the book into the episode's description so you might as well read it. I highly recommend all his books. It's fascinating really. As well as Mary and Wolf's Ask Proust and the Squid. It's a, also a fascinating book and it's a journey for reading and how it develops and yeah, um, I highly recommend it. And just to recap, we have been talking about the brain and all the functions that the brain has and about dyslexia and reading in English as a foreign language and English as a second language. I would like you to invite you to subscribe to my newsletter. And this letter is a bi-weekly newsletter <laughs> in which you will learn about the newest research on dyslexia, bilingualism, literacy, illiteracy. From time to time, you'll get an occasional download of a worksheet and an early bird offer to my workshop, webinar, training, and a course. Um, I would be really um, happy and appreciate if you signed up. It's like my baby, the fruit of my labor, because I love sharing knowledge, and I know that we teachers are relentless educators and we learn throughout our lives. Other than that, I would like to wish you a very happy, safe, and sound Sunday or another day. Stay healthy, stay safe, and until then, talk to you next time. Bye!